Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Gus, the first meal I had outside my own home following the quarantine was at your house. Brought over a bunch of meat. I brought over my Alpine Touch, but I didn't bring it home. I forgot it at your place. Our first meal was made better, as every meal is made better by Alpine Touch on basically everything. I put Alpine Touch hickory smoke on my cereal in the morning. <laughs> It's, it's reached that level of usage. And the fact that you left it, I knew that you left it at my house. You brought it over, left it at my house. And like a real jerk, I said nothing to you because I was like, well, that's mine, dude. That's it. You came to my house. You left it in my house. And I'm eating all of it. We've gotten so far into this Alpine Touch obsession, I think, that I just think we might be able to host a podcast about all the things that you can make with Alpine Touch. It would be short. Everything. (laughs) They have a bunch of different varieties of spices, as we know. Uh, They are local from the state of Montana. Shoto, shout out, original Alpine Touch. And it's great when it's not just local, when it's not just supporting the state of Montana, but when it's also actually the best thing that you can get. I mean, when it comes to spices, uh, it's second to none. So, boys and girls, use your Alpine Touch. Colter, tell them where they can get it. AlpineTouch.com, no matter where you're at in the entire world listening to this, if you are in the United States of America and you make an order of over $50, which, you know, if you get yourself the Grand Slam and maybe some barbecue sauce, some sunflower seeds, you're there. Free shipping anywhere in the United States of America right now. Uh, so go to AlpineTouch.com. They're rolling out all their summer Big Mountain flavor packages. The sunflower shoots are really, really good as well. Alpine Touch has got you covered. Alpine Touch, Montana's special spice. From the Kurtz Polaris studio, here is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanez. Welcome back. Hour number two. If you missed anything in hour number one, check it out on the Tutel Nuanez podcast. The podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. It is there thanks to Alpine Touch and Blackfoot. If you'd like to listen live and you uh, are just, uh, you know, feel better about it on your device, your computer, what have you, you go to the website, 1029ESPN.com. You listen live there all the time on the stream. The stream is available thanks to Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. It is time for our ESPN Roundtable. Each Wednesday, your ESPN Roundtable is brought to us by Paradise Falls. So we go to the Rangage Brothers RV phone line and welcome in. Uh, good friend of the show. He uh, covers the Seattle Seahawks for the Athletic. Mike Dugar. Mike, good to catch up with you again. It's been a little while. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it's a nice, beautiful day, you know, in Seattle. I'm not going nowhere because of coronavirus. But, you know, it's a nice day. <laughs> yeah, open the window. Look outside at least. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I got a little. Uh, I got my my grandmother gave me some. Uh, she gave me some uh, patio furniture for my birthday. 
So I got that uh, on my little apartment deck so I can look out and just watch people drive on the freeway, I guess. That's my view. Well, that's uh, that, you could do a lot worse than that, my friend. So that's uh, that's very good. Listen, I want to talk a bunch of... Se- oh, go ahead, Colton. Well, I mean, I got to ask him how he's doing before we get into well, any of the sports questions. Sure. But I mean... Mike, I mean, obviously this pandemic has been crazy, but it's completely different in different parts of the country. We have been uh, less affected, uh, at least compared to a lot of places in Montana here. But what's the scene been like out in Seattle? I mean, because you are in a place that's a hotspot, and it's a very uh, a different world than a lot of the rest of us are living in. Yeah, we got, like, coronavirus fatigue, like, at, like to, at a, as a whole here in King County. And after, I think we got to, like, phase... I want to say like one and a half or two, maybe even a little before that. It just, it got pretty bad. Um, like the numbers are get, I don't know what the numbers are officially, but like, for example, if I was, my birthday's on Friday, right? If I was to throw like a big party, everyone would come and no one would probably ask me like, hey man, should we wear masks? Like it's gotten, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of scary in that regard. Like I'm supposed to be in a wedding next month and it's supposed to be like a hundred plus people and I don't even know if everyone's supposed to be wearing masks. Uh, so that's why I like to say, it's a nice day. I'm going to be in the house, and I am not throwing a party for my birthday, uh, well, to be clear. We wish you a happy birthday, Mike. We're here to celebrate with Thanks. you right here on the radio. You know <laughs> what I mean? We're, we, you know, I'll, the, the cake's in the mail, uh, okay? Uh, You'll have to bake it yourself it. so that, that it's all safe. Uh, hey, let's talk a little bit about the Seahawks. I want to ask you, obviously, about the Seahawks in general, what their offseason has looked like, what you thought about the draft, but I want to just go into you know those rumors that were swirling in the last week. <laughs> And that being involving Jamal Adams. Seattle has obviously been a team that has not been afraid to make a big deal to when they went and got Percy Harvin. Of course, they got Davion Clowney for last year. And Jamal Adams, maybe the best safety in the game. And we all know what the Seattle defense looked like when they had a player like that in Earl Thomas and what that defense was able to do. Is there What level of, I don't know, possibility is there that Jamal Adams ends up with a blockbuster deal going to the Seattle Seahawks? I probably couldn't put a percentage on it, but I think the history of John Snyder and, like, gutsy trade that you mentioned is very important. It goes all the way back to Marshawn Lynch. Right. Yeah, like, people, like, Marshawn is a beloved figure here, but when they traded for him, and I think that was 2010, Marshawn was a very controversial figure at the time. I think he had, like, a DUI um, at the time and something else off the field where it's just, like, people were tired of him in Buffalo. Like, you go read some old, like, Buffalo blogs, they're like, get this dude out of here. Yeah. Um, and it goes from Marshawn to Percy to Jimmy to Sheldon Richardson to Jadavian. Like, John will pull the trigger on just about anything. Right? Like, they, they call. They call about every player. Um, I'm pretty sure they have called about Jamal. Uh, I, would, I, I would, like, bet my life on it that they have. But the Jets don't seem to be, like, stupid. And that's very important because, like, you can pull off a clowny trade and not give up anything higher than third rounder because Bill O'Brien doesn't necessarily – Whatever he uses to value players, his chart is just, like, off. It was designed by, like, a third grader or something. <laughs> you know, the other teams don't operate that way. So if you call the Jets for, you know, an all-pro safety at age 24, they're not going to just say, all right, here, man, we just need a second-rounder and one of your backup linemen. No, they're going to be like, okay, we need two first-round picks for our 24-year-old all-pro safety, and then John's probably going to hang up. Uh, but I don't know if that's been the price, but um, I'm sure they're working at it. And it wouldn't surprise me if by week one, if we have a week one, that he'll be, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all because that's just what they do. They, especially now, they're probably going to lose Quentin Dunbar. Uh, so their secondary needs some type of boost. Like, they acknowledge that by trading for Quentin. So it's not like anything's changed since then. They would have just been subtracting Quentin. So the secondary then still needs a boost at square one you got to boost it somehow, and Jamal would be a great way to do it. Let me ask you this, though. You, you, you kind of mentioned, well, the two first-rounders. What do you think is a fair price for Jamal Adams? I mean, he's a sixth overall draft pick, and he has uh, played his way into being one of the premier safeties at this very young age. What, what do you think is a reasonable expense to, a, uh, to acquire a guy like that? Um, I think if it's going to be a late first, which the Seahawks usually always have, you probably look at a Stephen Diggs package. I think more Diggs than um, Ramsey. Ramsey went for two firsts, I'm pretty sure. I think, like, Tunsil went for two firsts. Um, I, I, I wouldn't do that. I think the firsts are just too valuable um, to give up to it. My, look at the position the Bears are in now. They haven't drafted, you know, in the first round and for I don't know how long since trading for 
uh, Khalil Mack, right? Meanwhile, the Raiders are loading, loading up on young talent. So I, I just don't think you can, you can give that up. But, yeah, if they want, like, a first, um, a bunch of late-round picks, and maybe even you throw in a player, whatever. You're getting a 24-year-old all-pro. Right? Like, I, I think that would be the case. As soon as you start talking about two firsts, and then you probably got to pay the guy, that's a problem. But what's interesting about the Jamal thing with Seattle is they seem to be on the list of teams that he would get traded to, and then you don't necessarily have to pay him right away. If that's the case, and him playing with Russ is enough to just be like, you know what, I like it here. I like function. I, was, I left dysfunction. I like a competent organization. I'll stay here for a little bit and not demand a new contract. Well, he's under team control for two more years then. So in that scenario, I almost would say the two firsts you can do because all Seattle's going to do with two firsts is draft two guys that nobody likes. And if you can just avoid your doing that and you get Jamal Adams in return and maximize having Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson in their primes while adding another all-pro to the mix, I would rather actually do that. So if you don't have to pay Jamal right away, then the two firsts, maybe we could buy from a football perspective, if they do, if Seattle is able to swing this trade, what what sort of influx is that for the Seahawks defense? You know, you need all pro talent, right, to win the Super Bowl. That's just what it is. I don't. I went back and actually looked at the teams who competed in the last like nine Super Bowls. This was like a month ago. You're not gonna get there without at least an all pro guy, right? Like Pro Bowl is a different measure because anybody can make the Pro Bowl for what it's worth. Um, it's really hard to, to be the best at your job, or at least one of the best two guys in some cases with all pro. You need them, right? Bobby's, Bobby's been the one. But if, you're the, if no one else is going to be that, then you need another guy. And that's just what it's going to take. It's not, it's not going to happen in such a tough division unless you have elite players. Like, that was what was so special about the Legion of Boom. There was a guy pretty much at every level of the defense who was top five in his position. Like Mike B was probably a top five edge guy. Bobby was obviously a top five linebacker, and then Earl Cam and Sherm were all top five at their respective positions, Most, some of them the best at their position. Uh, and right now, look at the Seahawks. How many guys on any, on any side of the ball, to be honest, are top five at their position? You probably just get Russ and Bobby. That's not enough. With Jamal, you'd probably you add something else to that. And when you do, then you're tipping the scales in, you know, in your favor. So I think that you have to have that elite talent. It, without it, the Seahawks don't have a Super Bowl roster. You mentioned that the Seahawks, for quite a long time now, I mean, uh, definitely the Pete Carroll era, but maybe even a little bit before that, have had a, a reputation of going after guys that maybe are you know, outspoken characters or guys that maybe if you, if you don't take them the right way, maybe you can rub people the wrong way. That's always been one of the most appealing parts of the franchise to me. I love the personalities they've had and the way that they've given those guys a great platform to express themselves. And you, you mentioned Michael Bennett. I mean, he, he was an awesome figure in Seattle. Doug Baldwin fits that same mold. Marshawn Lynch, these, Richard Sherman, these guys have, have risen to levels of, of expressing themselves and, and standing up for what they believe in as much as just being pro athletes that entertain people. Why is that, though? I mean, have you thought about the connection between the franchise and their makeup as well as Seattle in general? I mean, is there a harmony there between the city? Have you, have you considered why guys that seem to be a little bit more outspoken do thrive in, at that specific team? You know, I really think it has a lot to do with Pete Carroll. That's just kind of what he, you know, believes. He's not, he's the oldest coach in the league, but he's not old school in that way. I'll give you a quick example. Um, I'm doing a story on the Griffin Twins. Uh, they played at UCF. Their first coach that recruited them there was George O'Leary. Uh, that probably rings a bell for a lot of college football fans. Right? George was very, very old school. Right? Like all the guys had to shave their facial hair before every game. On Friday, you couldn't get on the bus if you didn't have, if you had anything more than a mustache. Right, he made everybody with dreads cut their hair so that it was shoulder length. Um, he made everyone wear the same uh, wristbands and cleats and ankle tape, and no one could wear a visor. You know, like everything was very like strict, right? And they hated that, right? The players threw a party when he resigned. Um, and so when Scott Frost came in, he knew to UCF. He was like, "Yo, I can't act like that because I'll lose these guys." Right? They need to be having fun. And what do you know? They went undefeated in 2017. Like that's Pete Carroll has already seen the George O'Leary effect. And a lot of guys are like that. It ain't just George O'Leary. But a lot of guys are like that. And Pete's seen that the other way is better. Right? He has more fun, and the players have more fun when they're, they're doing it the opposite of that. Like, you're not the drill sergeant guy trying to keep everything uniform. If a guy comes in with 
five missing teeth and, and, and a million and seven tattoos and, and a blonde mohawk. As long as he's on time for work and knows his assignments on the field, Pete's going to play the guy. Right? Like, and if one dude comes in with an army cut, no tattoo, says yes, sir, no, sir, he'll play that guy too as long as he knows the assignments and shows up on time. You know, Pete's, it, because Pete operates that way, he'll welcome you know, anyone and he'll empower them to be the best version of themselves because he's learned that that's you know, the best way to get it done. And he's right. I mean, being that whole drill sergeant thing, that's just not going to work, especially when the demographic of athletes that you have. You're grabbing kids age 23 through, like, 29, young black dudes. You just just being that drill sergeant guy, just you ain't going to resonate. Right? So Pete's figured that out, and it works. Right? That's why you see so many people who just are, they feel good in their skin, you know, when they come to the Seahawks. At Blackfoot Communications, we're experts at keeping your business technology up and running. From networks and security to communications and 24-7 support, we evaluate your current state infrastructure and deploy the right technology solution for your future. Whether your company is just starting out or is looking to take the next step, Blackfoot is here to help. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash business to learn more. Mike Dugard joining us. He covers the Seahawks for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mike Dugar. And, uh, Mike, I want to talk a little bit about the Seahawks draft. We haven't gotten into this too much. I haven't gotten into it at all with you. And it was another one of those, if I may say, Seahawks-E drafts, where it, didn't, it wasn't particularly overwhelming. There wasn't the big pick, even like a DK Metcalf last year. Their first-round pick, a linebacker, which is you know Jordan Brooks. I don't know what to think about him as a player. I'm sure he's very good, but usually positionally, linebacker, is not a high priority a lot of places, but they go first round with a linebacker, then the defensive end out of Tennessee in round two, and a guard out of LSU in round three. What do you think about the Seahawks draft? Okay, so here's the thing with the Seahawks. Um, that that's This is how I view their drafts, right? If they do something where I have to, to evaluate it as good, I have to accept that the Seahawks are the smartest team in the room. Right? If that's what I have to do, then I, I just can't buy it, right? Like Jordan, the Jordan Brooks thing. Um, Jordan Brooks could probably be a fine player, right? But there seems to be no one that I trust with Jeff evaluations that, except for one guy, found one guy who knows draft stuff and was like, that's a good pick, trust him. Everyone else is like, I would have taken Jordan in the third round. I would have taken Jordan late in the second. There was no team other than maybe Baltimore who was going to take him at 27, right? That, that's what I heard. So that means... The Seahawks are asking me to trust them to be the smarter one, the smarter than everyone else. And because of their track record with their top picks, I just can't. You've yeah. lost the benefit of the doubt, John Snyder. You have, right? You haven't drafted a first-round pick that anyone likes since 2012. Like, that's, that's a problem. You know what I mean? You haven't drafted a first-round pick to make it to a second deal with you since 2010. That was Earl. You know, so if you're asking me to say that, all right, look, this pick seems wonky, but trust me, look, John Snyder and I can say, well, I don't, right? Because I don't have any reason to. You haven't built that up. Uh, you don't have that type of currency with me for me to buy that. So that's how I look at least the Jordan pick. Every other pick seems fine for the most part. Uh, the last pick they traded back into, I think Stephon Sullivan, that one was a little weird. It's because he was on the best offense in the country and didn't catch a touchdown. Um, so, I mean, Joe Burrow threw like 700 touchdowns, and it's like he wasn't very productive in that offense. So that was a little questionable. Um, the running back they took also was a very productive. I'm big on production, you know, in college. I know traits are obviously important too, but like if you just weren't productive at all, I'm naturally skeptical. Doesn't mean you can't be good, but this, I'm just skeptical. Um, so I like the two pass rushers. Um, I like the guard from LSU. The draft as a whole just seems to be a lot of trust us guys. We know what we're doing. And if I'm looking back at John Snyder and the rest of his staff, I'm like, I don't trust you. You haven't proved to know what you're doing since, like, 2012. You know what I mean? Well, if Joe Burrow threw 700 touchdowns and you didn't catch a one of them, that's a lack of production. No <laughs> doubt about it. Uh, right. Go you ahead. Know? <laughs> it, correct me if I'm wrong, though, Mike. It seems like after the first two rounds, the Seahawks have drafted well. Is it, would you agree with that over the last handful of years? Uh, well, let's look at it. 2015 was bad. Um, everything after Frank Clark and Tyler was awful. Um, 2016, their late picks were, I think, like, Joey Hunt's there. I think Riso Diombo, uh, Quentin Jefferson. Uh, so, I mean, it was eh, but not great. Uh, I think Alex Collins may have been in that as well. He didn't stick around. 
So it was it was okay. 2017, they hit on Chris and David. So that was great. It was Chris Carson and David Moore. That's great. But then that's kind of balanced because they whiffed on Ethan and Malik. So you're not really sure. Uh, they drafted an all-pro punter in the back end of 2018. That's great. Uh, but And they got Trey Flowers. So yeah, the back end of 2018 looks pretty solid. Let's see. Who's in the, who's the back half of 2019? I can't remember. Is that John Arsua? Is he in the back of that? You cover yeah. the Seahawks for the <laughs> Mike, let's just be clear it's, it's here. All, it's all running together right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So John Arsua, I think they get him in the back end of the the uh, 2019 draft, so that look, that looks to be okay. So they do all right. Um, really, it's the late rounds of the value is that they're they're really finding it. But you know, I think to really build a championship defense or a championship team, rather, you need to eventually hit early. You know what I mean? Right. Like Bobby was a second round pick. Um, you know, even someone like Frank, I think, was second round. Um, you know, Russ was third, but you know, Earl was first. I think Russell Okun was a first-round pick, too. So, like, you, you, you do need some elite talent there. And it's just – it's a lot easier to find it in the first, like, 100 picks. If you're just hoping to find Chris Carson's and Trey Flowers every year uh, or Richard Sherman's and Cam Chancellor's every year, you're just not, right? It's not a sustainable model uh, for success. So, I do trust them maybe later in the back half of the draft more than I do in the front. But if you're asking me, like, hey, this is our first-round pick. I know it doesn't make sense to everyone else, but trust us. I'm like, no, man. No, you're you're bad at this, John. I don't trust you. <laughs> well, it, it seems as if the common narrative around the NFL is that uh, sustained success, which very few franchises actually get, you know, to be in the playoff mix for a full ten year stretch like the Seahawks have since Pete Carroll took over as the head coach. But the common narrative is that it's it's all about the draft. It's all about managing the salary cap and managing the draft effectively. There is a lot of. Um, murky waters there in terms of the criticisms they maybe you have about their drafting over the last half a dozen years or not. But I mean, what in your mind, what defines the Seahawks then? How have they been able to be sort of baseline 10 or 11 wins uh, year in and year out during the entire Pete Carroll era? Oh, it's actually pretty simple. They drafted Russ. Right. <laughs> uh, look at the teams who look at the teams who have sustained success in the last decade. Look at all the, I think the top winning percentages of the, of the top five teams in the last decade. Pretty sure it's New England, think Kansas City, Seattle, Pittsburgh, and Green Bay. Maybe New Orleans is in there, too. But look what all those teams have in common, for the most part. Um, they have they drafted quarterbacks. Right? They have the same quarterback the whole decade. Um, so if you draft a quarterback, you can re- your margin for error just skyrockets once you draft a quarterback. Right? Like, uh, you know, you look at a team like the Bears in 2018. They're a really good example. And the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2017. They had elite defenses. The 2017 Jags are elite. That defense is ridiculous. 2018 as well, right? But look look how fast they fell apart. Not because the defenders got old or started getting worse, because their quarterback stunk. Like, Bortles stinks, Mitch Trubisky stinks, right? They stunk so fast that now that the, both franchises had to turn it around. Now, Gardner's fixing things in Jacksonville, but, like, it's you, you have to get a quarterback. And when you draft so well, as the Seahawks did in 2010, 11, and 12, they drafted like four Hall of Famers and across three drafts. That should, in theory, set you up for the future like it did. So the Seahawks have been able to be good every year because, A, they drafted four Hall of Famers in three years, and they drafted a quarterback. Any team that does that, no matter what you do in the subsequent drafts, you're going to have success as long as your health you know, is fine. And the Seahawks got pretty lucky with health until about 2017. So that's what I would credit their success to it's a good coach and it's a hall of fame quarterback they drafted in the third round all right so heading into this season with the team that they've got you got dk metcalf going into his second season obviously tyler tyler lockett a very established commodity at the position still got russ sitting back there you got a, a very old greg olson but who knows what happens there maybe will disley coming back a good montana guy who if you got a montana guy playing on your football team. It's a Super Bowl run. I mean, that's what it is, It's Mike. been the trend I mean, no, recently, No actually. question about that. And then, you know, still, L.J. Collier, very underwhelming in his rookie season. Maybe he bounced. I, I don't know. What do you think about this team in its 2020 iteration as it's shaping up? So I'm assuming they don't re-sign Jadavian Clowney, and I'm assuming that Quentin Dunbar, um, for some reason, whether he's in jail or suspended or on the commissioner's exempt list, he is just unavailable in some capacity. I can't necessarily predict how, but I do not predict him being available. 
So looking at an offseason where their best move was what? Signing B.J. Finney, uh, drafting Jordan, who is not aligned to start, signing Greg Olson, Phil Dorsett. I don't, I don't know. I, can't, I honestly do not know. I thought Dunbar was the best move of the offseason. So because how the roster is constructed now and how Pete believes uh, winning should, you know, should happen, and that's by running and playing great defense, well, you don't have a great defense. And the problem with Pete Carroll's philosophy, it's not that it doesn't work. The Niners just got to the Super Bowl by running and playing great defense. But if you don't have a great defense, you have to switch it up. Or the Chiefs are like, look, in 2018, like, we're just going to have our guys throw 50 touchdowns. If the other team throws 50, that's cool, but we'll just throw 51 and win games, right? That was their way to do it. Now they got, they got to the AFC title game. We're like, all right, we, maybe we need at least a pass rush or something, so they traded for Frank. But in general, Andy Reid is like, we're just going to score 30 and figure it out from there because their defense wasn't great, right? And it's still not great. Um, they're just really good at scoring 30. Pete Carroll has an offense that could score 30. Like, he has that. The roster should tell him, get out there, score 30, and it doesn't matter what you do after that. It doesn't matter if your defense can't hold water because your offense is going to score 30. Because he doesn't think that way, he's trying to ground and pound 2010 Mark Sanchez Jets this whole thing. I just don't believe in their ability to win a Super Bowl that way. You can you can build a top five offense, you know, without top five talent. I really do believe that. Uh, the, one of the homies that covers the Seahawks kind of just mentions me that that's Kyle Shanahan's philosophy. But what he also believes is that you cannot build a top five defense without top five talent. You need the talent. The Seahawks just don't have it. You're not going to scheme up a great defense. You're just not. Uh, and Pete Pete's tried it the last couple of years, and their defense is getting worse. <laughs> like every year since 2016, it's gotten worse. And I don't see it trending the other way, you know, without a pass rush. Mike Dugar joining us. He covers the Seahawks for the Athletic at Mike Dugar on Twitter. Okay, you talked to us about the the offensive philosophy and how maybe that should change. It should just, you know, you got the, the talent on that side of the ball to go score some points. Where are we at with Brian Schottenheimer? I know there's a lot of murmurs when he got hired about coming from, you know, whatever, a 25th-ranked offense when he showed up in Seattle. They've been somewhat productive. I realize he's the run guy and all that, but you got a couple great pass catchers, uh, some productive tight ends as well. What, do, what? Where are Seahawks fans? Where are you at with him? I think most fans, if they don't know, they should understand that all the offensive coordinator can do, he doesn't have autonomy. Right, like he can only do what Pete Carroll allows him to do. It's not like some cases, like a, a Sean McVay and Wade Phillips, where Sean McVay is like, "I got this side of the ball, you just Wade, you do what you got to do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna approve it because I'm the CEO, but Wade, I'm gonna let you rock how you rock, and we'll go from there." I mean, he, he, he fired Wade, but that was he had autonomy in that right. way. No one on the Seahawks staff has that. Norton has to do what Pete believes. Shoddy has to do what Pete believes, and that's it. Obviously, they designed the defense and the offense but they don't have that much freedom. I think, personally, Shadi's probably doing the best he can do with what Pete allows. And that's not to say that, like, he's got, like, mutiny brewing in his heart. Like, he also believes, too, because he was the coordinator on that Mark Sanchez team I referenced. Like, he was the one grounded and pounding it uh, with the Bart Scott can't wait team and all that stuff. Like, that was him. So he believes that, too. That's why they work so well together. Uh, but the problem is this roster – like, there's no way you can, you can convince me, right? Because Pete believes in balance. Right? He's, he's like, balance is the way to go. You can't convince me that balance is giving the ball to Chris Carson 25 times and targeting DK and Tyler Lockett like a total of 10. That's not balance. That, that's stupid. That, that is a lopsided. That's, that's imbalance. Like, by definition, you are feeding one person the rock more often than you are distributing it equally across the, the rest of the roster. And like, that's what Pete believes, though. Like, he, he has a definition of balance as it pertains to offense messed up. So, Shadi has to work with that, and he's got it messed up, too. So, even if they're great minds, they're just they're going at it the wrong way. Their whole philosophy is based on, like, bad math. So, yeah, of course, it can produce some numbers because Russell is great. Chris Carson is great. Um, and they've got some decent run blockers on the roster. But to really light it up and win this and go to the Super Bowl and be the best team in the NFC, I don't see that happening um, unless the light bulb comes on over there and they say, you know what we should do? We should throw it. And until that happens, I just can't believe. Mike Dugard joining us. He covers the Seattle Seahawks for The Athletic. 
And Mike, I want to pivot and ask you a little bit about the state of the world as it is right now, because I think that one of the main storylines that maybe isn't getting written about a lot in the mainstream media, but has certainly been written about quite uh, frequently at The Athletic, is... Uh, the, the vast experiences of racial injustice that have happened across the United States of America recently, the subsequent then riots that have stemmed from those. And I think a lot of us that work in sports, most of us that work in sports, um, it's been particularly painful for all of us because, as Ryan and I have talked about for weeks and months now, the, uh, one of the great places where there is a melting pot, where people do come together from all different races and backgrounds and a variety of different areas is sports. I mean, you see it in college football particularly. I know you saw it a lot when you were covering Washington State and Idaho, you know, places in the rural Northwest where people of all different ethnicities and backgrounds come together. And it's similar in the NFL, too, with the way the locker rooms work. But you mentioned, I mean, the demographic of the NFL is largely young African-American males. And I just want to know, what do you think of what's happening in America today and how that might impact the mental avenue that some of these guys use to prepare. I mean, we've seen it in the NBA. The NBA guys are talking, man, there's a lot of distractions out there that are a lot more important than basketball. How will this affect the way that we're going to prepare this summer? What's your NFL perspective on that note? Well, I think it's important to note that the idea of sports being an escape from reality is a form of privilege, right? Like only a certain group of people Largely white men have the privilege to use any, anything to escape from reality. Because when you are black, everywhere you go, you are black. Right? It doesn't matter if I just happen to be on the Seahawks or the Cowboys or if I'm in a tennis match or I'm on, on the Oklahoma State football team. I'm always going to be black. I can't escape my blackness. There is no, even if I put on this uniform that everyone else is wearing, you still see that I am black, right? So there is no such thing for black people as escaping. Sports cannot be an escape in that way. And that's very important because you have to understand that sports and race always intersect. They always can. We're talking about a sport like football where black people weren't even allowed to be in this league they're talking about. There's still people alive now who remember black people not being allowed to play in this league. You look at the NFL's top 100 list that they've been putting out last season. I think they had like these like white receivers from like the 40s. Like, those dudes played again. They, they could not play against black people. And there was still an era that, like, if you did have black people on your team, they need to be an even numbers, right, because they needed a roommate. And the white, no white guys wanted to room with them. Like, there's always been an intersection of race and sports. And I think what we're seeing now is it's become, like, you can't, you can't turn a blind eye to it anymore. You have to acknowledge that it's a thing, right? No matter whether you want it to be or not, you have to acknowledge it is a thing. And I think that's kind of waking some people up. In some regard, like they're legitimately being enlightened by hearing some of the things that players are saying or that coaches are saying or the, the, the protests, the messages on social media, whatever it is. Um, and I think that once we kind of accept that sports is not an escape for everyone because it can't be, and that's a form of privilege, and once you understand that, um, I think we'll get less tension when, you know, someone brings up, you know, cash bail systems, you know, during their press conference about, like, establishing the run and when they bring up like someone like Breonna Taylor or George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery right after a game or before a game or uses their platform to do that or for a team puts out a Black Lives Matter message like once we get that behavior normalized right by a largely like industry run by billionaires rich white male billionaires right once we get them on board I think it, it won't be social justice won't be viewed as a distraction you know, it'll be viewed as another cause that we can simultaneously care about while also caring about football. Like, no one calls Breast Cancer Awareness Month a distraction, right? But what does breast cancer have to do with football? Not a damn thing, right? But no one views the month of October that way, right? We need to get social justice and racial, like, tension to that space in football. I'm not sure if it's going to get there this year, but you guys can see it's getting a lot closer than it was in 2016 when Colin was like, hey, I got this thing I want to say. And the NFL was like, shut up, go away. And now you get people, you know, Baker Mayfield, you know, he's talking about he, he'll kneel with his teammates. Even Bill O'Brien said he would, the coach of the Texans. And we're getting to a place where we are normalizing, caring about the plight of black people. Um, and I think more than anything, if, as it pertains to race and sports, like that, that's the most important thing we need to get to. Normalize that to the point where if we have like a social justice awareness month or something like that, 
people don't like boycotting outside stadiums because it's just as important as like a cause for mental health or breast cancer or supporting damn troops. Um, so I, I think I've seen that shift over the past like few months. It's, it's not been, it's been met with some resistance, but overall I think it's getting closer to being normalized. Um, and that's been really good to see. Mike, as always, we appreciate your time, your perspective on sports, your perspective on, on, on the world at large in general. And uh, we look forward, we hope that we are catching up with you throughout the season, that that means that, that we had a season and that it was safe to have a season, which we, uh, we are uh, you know, all uh, hopeful, optimistic for, however you want to say it, and we'll look forward to catching up with you when that happens. All right, man? Uh, I appreciate you guys having me, as always. Yeah, hopefully we're talking during the season. You got it. Mike Dugar, birthday man. Coming up soon. At Mike Dugar on Twitter. Again, covers the Seahawks for The Athletic. Does a great job. Uh, as is uh, Seahawks uh, podcast as well. You can look that up and check it out. It's our ESPN Roundtable presented by Paradise Falls. First of all, I got to say that was one of the best um, pieces of perspective we have heard on this show when it comes to uh, the social unrest that exists in America today. And I, I knew Mike would would give great perspective because he's an incredibly sharp guy and an incredibly uh, intellectual guy who, who does a great deal of research, and I think he thinks and feels a lot of different things, and I thought that was uh, I thought that was awesome perspective by him, so I really appreciate uh, him sharing some of his thoughts with, with us. Um, but as you said, the ESPN Roundtable, proudly presented by Paradise Falls in Missoula. It's a beautiful night, so go check out that late happy hour, Monday through Thursday. The late happy hour at Paradise Falls runs from 9 until 11 p.m. The sun's still shining at 9 p.m. You can see the sunset in the distance if you sit out on the back deck of Paradise Falls. Got half-price beers, half-price, excuse me, half-price mixed drinks, half-price apps, and $3 beers. There you go. 18 different beers on tap. It's one of the great places you can go in terms of social distancing because this is a gigantic room, so they have room for you for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There's a patio, too, sit Patio, uh, whatever you need, located there on the south side of Missoula, 3621 Brook Street, Paradise Falls, Missoula's coolest hotspot. It's time for a Wing It Wednesday. Colton Nuanas has your questions, a couple of trivia questions for you. We'll get to f- see if we can't get a winner. Get some prize going, get some wings for you. That coming up right now, 361-3688, 361-3688. Call us. Colton will have some questions. We'll do a Wing It Wednesday right after this. Coulter, during this time where we got to be a little bit socially distanced, it's nice to know we can get out on the links and play a little bit of golf. And nobody better than Western Birch to get your round started right. That's right. Golf's been definitely one of my favorite pastimes during quarantine times. And it's recently landed my new Western Birch customized golf tees. Go check out Western Birch golf tees at westernbirch.com. These classy golf tees are made of 100% white birch hardwood and printed with high-quality color right here in the United States. A company founded right here in Montana. These durable wood golf tees, perfect way for you to market your business. Just think, anytime you break a tee, your brand is sitting on the tee box forever. You can hand them out to your clients, your buddies, your golf partners, whoever. Great way to earn top-of-mind awareness while also playing a sport we all love. Again, you can check out all the cool designs online at westernbirch.com. Add your logo on a 1,000 of any of their tees for $150 delivered to your door. Give them to clients, friends, watch them get impressed by the quality of the look of a simple golf tee and by your creativity. Give Western Birch the opportunity to show you what they're talking about. Email and ask for Chad at info at westernbirch.com, info at westernbirch.com, or follow on Instagram and Facebook, westernbirch.com. Telling Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. Outstanding to be with you. Um, just a quick snippet from that news deal, uh, Coulter. But mm-hmm. football, volleyball, basketball, sure. You want to play soccer in Glendive in January? No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, gracious mercy. It's 2 Telling Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. Uh, it is time for a Wing It Wednesday. So we go to the phones. We welcome in Justin to the show. Justin, how you doing? Uh, doing great. Good. Glad to hear it, Justin. So here's the deal, my man. 
We got three questions for you. Specifically, Coulter has three questions for you. If you get all three, you got yourself a shirt and wings. If you only get two, we're still giving you wings to the Desperado Sports Tavern because we like you that much. The best wings in the city of Missoula. If you need any help on any of these, I am your lifeline for better or worse. How's that sound to you? Sounds great. Boy, some chicken wings would really hit the spot. Tell me likey. Tell me what wingy. All right, Justin, here we go. Now, Coulter, what kind of questions do we These have? These are all here? about major championship golf. Whoa, golf majors. Justin, are you a golfer? I mean, I can I can hit it out of the fairway, but that's about it. And I don't watch any, so this should be interesting. Okay. Okay. All right, here we go. Major championship golf. Let's see what <laughs> we got here, Justin. We're going to have fun with this thing. Uh, Ryan will actually maybe be able to help you a little bit more than normal questions with these. We'll see. Well, we'll see. Okay. Uh, Jack, Too much on me. Jack Nicholas has won the most major championships in the history of professional golf with 18 majors. Tiger Woods right behind him with 15. There is four other players that have won at least eight major championships in their careers. Can you name one of those four players to win eight or more major championships in their careers. Well, we'll have to go with Phil Mickelson on that one. Mm. Pause it. We're going to pause and uh, maybe <laughs> wrap back around. Phil is an excellent guess, I must say. He's, 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 he's close. He's at five. Okay, uh-huh. so Kay. Jack Nicholas is the only player to ever win a one of the majors six times. Okay. Which of the four majors did Jack Nicholas win six times in his career? I mean, it'd be a complete guess with me. Uh, are you, we want to do lifeline on this one. How are you feeling on that? Yeah, I mean, I think we can do lifeline here. I, I, I have, I, I'm, I'm. I'll tell you, I'm not a hundred percent on this, but I, I have, I had an immediate reaction to this that I, I feel I would be surprised if I'm wrong at this one. Do you want to use it? Yeah, let's do it. I think it's the U.S. Open. Oh, Coulter's, Coulter just looked like he choked on his on his deal there. Is it the Masters? I give you a hint. It was Jack's last major, 1986, one of the signature moments in all of golf history when a 48-year-old Jack Nicholas. Well, it's either the Open Championship or the other one. <laughs> It's not the U.S. Open? It's not the U.S. Open. Jack Nicklaus won the U.S. Open four times, 1962, 1967, 1972, and 1980. Okay, go to the next question. Come back. Okay, you guys, this is not any fault of Justin's. This is just a misalignment of questions with... Um, person, because these are certainly very hard. Well, clearly, I thought. I mean, I thought I had a beat on U.S. Open. Okay. I would have I really thought that. Okay, this is a uh, this is a this is a pick pick a player a variety question. pack. Okay. Forty seven players have won at least two majors. Okay, of these five contemporary guys, only one has won two majors. Okay, so pick the one out of these five contemporary players who has won multiple major championships. Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, Zach Johnson, Justin Thomas, and Justin Rose. Which of those five, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, Zach Johnson, Justin Thomas, and Justin Rose, have won multiple major championships? I mean, this is going to be a total guess, and I'd, I'd go with Dustin Johnson. I got news for you. You've just won wings to the Desperado Sports Tavern. <laughs> Excellent work, Justin. You picked it. You know, you didn't even pick a Justin in there, and you are a Justin. So you even went against your own. Bo- Is it Justin Rose, Coulter? Uh, no, Justin Johnson, D- Jason Day, Justin Thomas, and Justin Rose have all only won one. Zach Johnson has won two. Mm, interesting. Well, and I'll and I'll give you another one. Is that uh, the name's Dustin anyway? So I just went with mine, and I just—it's common. So. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So you did pick your own name. Okay, no wings then. You don't know. (laughs) Dustin, I'm glad we got your first name right at the very end. I'm glad we went over and we don't care around here, okay? I messed you up. We, you know, it's just, it just doesn't work. But you know what? That doesn't mean you shouldn't get the wings anyways. You know, that's what I think. So we'll set you up with those from the Desperado regardless. All right, my man? 
Sounds good. All right. Dustin, a winner. Our first <laughs> O for winner, I think, ever on the show. So is Sam Sneed somebody who's won eight or more? Um, Sam Sneed is not. Arnold In Palmer? Fact, Sam Sneed won seven, as did Arnold Palmer. Oh, man. All right. Who won eight? Uh, Walter Hagen won 11 majors. Mm-hmm. Ben Hogan won nine. Gary Player won nine. And Tom Watson won eight. Gary including... Player won more than Arnold Palmer. Huh? Yep. Gary, Play- Gary Player won a five. So was it PGA? Is it the PGA that, that uh, Jack, Nicholas Jack, won won, Jack Nicholas won the Masters six times? That's what I said second. You I know. Oh, you didn't acknowledge he didn't. He oh. didn't take it. Okay. Uh, all right. Well. An, another successful segment comes to an end. It's two telling the one is one zero two nine ESPN Radio. Boys and girls, summertime. Okay, you don't want to mess up summer the way we've messed up the trivia. So you go ahead and you go to Chris Polaris. Chris Polaris is at twenty nine zero four West Broadway in Missoula, Highway eighty three in Sealy. Now that it's warm, time to get outside, get on the mountains, get on the lakes. You like going on two wheels? They got dirt bikes for you. Beta and Husqvarna, Husqvarna dirt bikes, top of the line. They got their full line of Polaris side-by-sides, brand new. Rangers, Generals, Razors. They got a full service shop in there at Chris Polaris as well. We're going to take care of not just the purchase, but the maintenance of the vehicle forever. You also get yourself on the lake with a Crest Pontoon Boat. Crest Pontoon Boat's top of the line, perfect for the season. Nice and warm, great to be out on the lake. Online at KurtzPolaris.com. Summer, the way you've always envisioned, with Kurtz Polaris. At Blackfoot Communications, we're experts at keeping your business technology up and running. From networks and security to communications and 24-7 support, we evaluate your current state infrastructure and deploy the right technology solution for your future. Whether your company is just starting out or is looking to take the next step, Blackfoot is here to help. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash business to learn more. Tutel and Nuwana's 102.9 ESPN Radio. SWX Montana Television. Happy summer afternoon to you. Thanks for letting us be with you across the state, on the internet, whatever it might be. However you're hanging out with us, we appreciate that. If you miss anything in the show, check it out on the podcast. The Tutel and Nuwana's podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. It's available all the time thanks to our friends at Opportunity Bank. It's also available uh, the stream, excuse me, available thanks to Opportunity Bank. The podcast available thanks to Blackfoot and Alpine Touch. Coulter, we didn't touch other than in the trivia on the fact that Dak Prescott has signed the franchise tender. We'll play for $31.4 million this year. Um, there's been, he is, he is a player as a quarterback that to me is maybe the hardest to evaluate in the league absolutely as, as far as whether he not whether he's good or not he's good but how good is he exactly. or not and he put up great numbers this as we was well documented the six quarterbacks who threw for the most yards in the league last season not one of them made the postseason with their respective teams right he's got numbers that are questionable against teams with winning records but he also has I think demonstrated, you know, great competency and how much did this, you know, lays his feet or not. And you and I both probably share the same opinion of Jason Garrett. So what's it look like with Mike McCarthy? What do you think about Dak Prescott and his future with Dallas? Well, I think it's one of the most interesting franchise tags that's ever been signed in the NFL because I think that uh, if he if he lives up to what he thinks his potential is, what his camp thinks his potential is, he could then break the bank. I mean, he can then become one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league. He already is with this franchise tender for one year, but he could get himself a long-term deal that um, really would have a huge impact and ramifications around the entire rest of the NFL because it would have an impact on how much Deshaun Watson's going to get paid. Regardless of what Dak Prescott does, whether he plays up to the contract and gets himself a huge deal or doesn't, it's going to have ramifications around the rest of the league, but also it's a huge deal for the Cowboys too. I always hate on Dak Prescott. And the thing I always 
harken back to is if you name all the other I'm not sure he's quite in the the company of the elite elite in the league. I think he's a Oh he he isn't. Right. But just name a quarterback and then have have the the fantasy scenario of trading that that guy to the Cowboys for Dak Prescott. Right? Yeah. If Russell Wilson plays for the Cowboys, the Cowboys win the Super Bowl. If Aaron Rodgers plays for the Cowboys, the Cowboys win the Super Bowl. Well, no. And you can go on. I'm, all I'm saying is, though, the, the Cowboys would be better if you put the other elite quarterbacks on the league, in the league on the team, and the team that those guys would be leaving that would get Dak Prescott would be worse. That's how I evaluate it. Yeah, I mean. Deshaun Watson would be better with the Cowboys than Dak Prescott, right? Yeah, I mean, I think Deshaun Watson's better than Carson Dak West. Carson West is better than Dak Prescott. Yeah, that's. That's Josh a, Allen, that's an interesting I mean, one. Well, no, Josh Allen, not yet. He, he, Josh Allen, probably, but he's certainly not proven. But I guess my deal is, I don't know when. I, I want to see the there, these quarterbacks go through moments when all of a sudden you believe, like he makes some plays down the stretch that win you a football game, and you go, "Wow, Dak Prescott got it done when yeah. it mattered to win the football game." Yeah. And I'm saying that it's never happened, but I think that. You know, a lot of the games that the Cowboys have won, he facilitated but wasn't responsible for, if right. that makes sense. I mean, he's a consummate game manager. He's one of the best game managers well, in the league. And I think he's a very good I think he's a very good quarterback. But I also I understand the hesitation, especially after a ten year five hundred million dollar deal, you know, or whatever. And and by the way, he's he's what, four or five years older than than Patrick Mahomes. Right. So, you know, he, he you can throw out the idea of, of, of anything like a 10-year contract. I mean, it would be, you would think, a four, five, maybe six-year contract extension. But it's still, uh, it is a huge decision to make on the duration. The Cowboys are much happier unloading $31 million on him this season right. and seeing how it goes than, than unloading $250 million on him over the course of the next six seasons or whatever you know that contract would end up being. And I think that's the the underplayed portion of this storyline because there is no more, there isn't an owner slash front office decision maker that irrationally falls in love with players at an elevated and sometimes unjustifiable level than Jerry Jones. Yeah. He fell in love with Jason Garrett and let that experiment go on for twice as long as it should have. No other premier franchises let guys go 8-8 eight and eight all the time like the Cowboys did with the amount of talent that they've had. No, it doesn't happen. Jerry Jones has these irrational love affairs with guys. That's the biggest story of this whole thing to me is that Jerry Jones clearly loves Dak Prescott. But he didn't go all in on him. The trend, almost the unbreakable trend, would have been that he gave Jack Prescott the the well, keys to the kingdom, but he didn't. And so I think that's the biggest storyline is that Jerry Jones maybe is waking up a little bit. Well, and also I think that it also maybe is an indicator that Stephen Jones is becoming more influential. Because, right. I mean, Jerry Jones, if he had his brothers, would have drafted Johnny Manziel, if you believe the reports that were coming out of Dallas. And not just Stephen Jones, everybody in the camp, but Stephen Jones especially saying, no, we're not going to do that. And and uh, maybe that is is part of this as well. It's a hard it's a hard puzzle that they're in. It's a good puzzle in some ways, but a difficult one for sure. But we know what's going to happen now. One year, franchise tag. Boys and girls, Steve Tell and Nuanas, stick around for Spain and Company right after this. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. 